Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. And I'm really going to try and keep it short, um, particularly at the beginning. I've got a couple of things to say at the end, but I'm really just so excited to share this episode with you, uh, with Will. I had such a blast recording this conversation um, and I think that there is so so much amazing amazing content in this episode. We're really diving into mental health. Will shares really graciously his experience with with depression, with uh, feeling suicidal, we talk about peer support, we talk about how to support people who are feeling suicidal. So um, some really really uh, great insights and practical advice I guess in this conversation but as always um, I like to give a bit of a content warning so that for yourself you can see if this is something that you feel in the right headspace to listen to today um, um, and maybe it's something to, to come back to but I think it's such an, an uplifting um, positive conversation overall even though we're talking about some really heavy stuff and as I said I had a huge amount of fun chatting to Will so I really hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll be back quickly at the end. Hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome this week's guest Will to the podcast. So Will, welcome and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well Hannah, first of all thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm humbled and grateful to be a part of your podcast. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of episodes and I'm so happy to be a part of a community that I, I get something from but I'm also allowed to give back to. Um, I am, I'm in the States. Uh, I'm in upstate New York. Uh, I am a podcaster, a singer songwriter, uh, a peer specialist, um, not professionally, but I did just receive my certification through New York state for my provisional certificate. So I've been co-facilitating a couple peer groups here in the States. Uh, I believe that the peer work is the most important work that we can do as individuals for people. Um, on our podcast, uh, my buddy and I, uh, my buddy, my, my co-host, Tim, uh, and I came up with this phrase called struggle buddies. And I'm his struggle buddy and he's mine. And every week on Above Ground Podcast, we, we talk about things through the peer spe- spectrum. Um, we're not professionals, but I, I believe that people need people that actually have this lived experience and that it can go hand in hand with their professional help and their medication and everything. And I, I believe that in, especially in other countries, it's more prevalent and I think it's catching on in the States, even though there's a lot of peer programs, but I find that in the big cities, there seems to be a lot more peer programs than there is like in my area. So I came to the mental health space. Uh, I had a mandate put on my birth certificate at a very young age. My mother lives with schizoaffective disorder. Um, she was hospitalized for the first time when I was five. And that sort of um, is the culmination of, of where everything kind of began for me. 
um, as we know that people that family members who have a major mental illness, all you always have more of a chance of developing some sort of mental illness yourself. Um, my journey started pretty rocky. Uh, I almost drowned when I was four. Uh, I fell into a public pool and started to literally, and I can still see it 44 years later, as clear as day, starting to just go to the bottom of the pool. And my mother jumped in and saved me. And there's been days where I just wish I had just gone to the bottom of that pool. Uh, in 2012, um, I know I'm kind of jumping around a bit, but a lot of my story is kind of ties in together. Um, I've lived with depression since I was nine. Uh, I felt this darkness kind of just penetrate me at, uh, at that age. Um, it was around this time of year. It was in the, the in-between time of November and December after Thanksgiving here in the States in between Christmas and there. And I looked out my front room window and I literally felt this just thud off my chest. And I didn't know what it was at nine. I didn't have the language for it until many, many years later when I was diagnosed in 2006 with major depressive disorder. And then I was later diagnosed in 2015 bipolar two disorder. Um, but I started the, the real journey of mental wellness and mental health in 2012. Um, I found myself around December, putting a plan together to end my life. And I, remember coming home from uh, family pictures at Christmas. Um, my wife and daughter and myself had gotten home. And I remember going into my bathroom and looking in the mirror and saying, if I check out soon, she can move on with her life because she'll be young enough to forget about me. And she won't have to live with and grow up around someone who doesn't have the strength to do it anymore. And that darkness persisted for quite a, for a few months, very intensely. And I found myself putting a plan together and believe it or not, the same thing that has always been my best friend music and just the thought of music actually created this opening. Uh, see, I, I come from music because music was always my best friend. Um, when I was very young, I, I was left alone often and I found records at a very early age and I couldn't hear the music anymore during that stage of 2012 music actually was very painful for me to hear because every time I would hear a song, I just felt, I just felt my failure. I felt my sadness. I felt everything because as we know, we get all the feels and that's the beauty of music, but that's also the, the tragedy of it too, is that it does make you feel, but um, like Leonard Cohen said, uh, there is a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. And in 2013, in February, 2013, I was watching a YouTube video from Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he said, eight words that literally cracked me wide open. And those words were don't die with your music still inside you. And that little bit of an opening literally doubled me over on the floor to sob. And uh, 
Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Um, and that started to allow me to start to step out of the darkness, so to speak. And that led me to start reading books and then start the process of, of taking my mental health and looking at it in a different way and actually realizing that all these things that I've lived with, childhood traumas, um, and just my, just my own, own maybe neglect of my own mental health allowed for this to get to this point. And it wasn't just my mental health. I had a lot of life things going on at the time. I had just, had just lost my job with the, the, uh, the post office. Um, I got into a car accident, which did some pretty bad damage to my spine. And I was looking at surgery. I had, I had neck surgery in 2013 and that neck surgery almost cost me my singing voice because of the way the surgery is performed. And I, and it, it, it's one of those things that those words were enough of an opening for me to seek out help um, and, and start to start to put the climb back together. And in 2015, I started to perform locally again. I'm, my cat's there. Yeah, it's Fernando. Say hi to Hannah Fernando. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're, you're sharing your story and, and very um, graciously sharing with us and, and quite you know deep stuff and then cat just pops up. Yeah, well, yeah, he, 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 he likes to pop up every once in a while. <laughs> uh, he's, he's made quite a few entrances. Um, he's actually, there's a video on my Instagram of one of my songs and he's actually in the video. He, get, he got right up in front of the camera as I was introducing the song called You Are Loved. So, um, that, that crack allowed me to start to put some pieces together and it actually gave me an insight to like even my mother's mental illness, um, that I didn't have as, as, as a young guy, you know what I mean? And it's, it sucks that it takes 48 years for you to re you know, for you to learn all this stuff. So that led me to reading a lot of books and literally start to pick apart the puzzle and try to rearrange the pieces, uh, which led me to taking classes online for my peer support specialist certificate. But it also um, allowed me to have a language that I never had before. And I think part of the reason why there's so much stigma is because we don't have a language to talk about our feelings and we're not taught how to handle our feelings or what feelings even are. And I think that that's a detriment. I think that's a, I, I think that's a big failing of our education system. But when you have culture that, that views weakness in any sort of emotion or empathy or anything, and you can clearly see that in the States now with the way things are so divided in our country that it, it leaves people in a really bad spot in a really bad position. So when I came out of started to come out of this darkness, I felt that there was a mandate that was put on my birth certificate that I finally understood that I have to help somebody. So that started the process. And uh, my buddy, Tim, who I, I co-host above ground podcast with, I, I ran into in a whole foods market um, and I hadn't spoken to him or seen him in, in a few years. We had kind of a falling out at one point in our relationship. And we got to talk and, and he had just had his own 
crisis himself. And he had this idea. And I said, actually, I want to start a podcast too. And that's kind of what led to the creation of above ground podcast. Uh, and that comes out every week, just like yours does uh, everywhere, you know, that podcasts come out and um, it's allowed me to have a platform that it's not just about me. It's about others. And that's the biggest thing is that we come to this as wounded healers. I think that that's that crack. And I think that that is a, is a good thing, but it does come at a cost and, and self-care is sort of looked at self as a selfish thing. And I, and truthfully, I don't even know necessarily what self-care is <laughs> necessarily. You know what I mean? Um, it, Cause it looks different for everybody. So that kind of, you know, and I, I finally got back to playing music again in my area in 2015. And that didn't even go well at first because I found myself um, very, very naked in a way, even though I play solo acoustic and I'm, I'm literally just the guy singing with the guitar. And I, I really revel in that. It, it led, it opened when I started to, I'm sorry, when I started to perform again, it was, it was very, um, I felt like there was such a magnifier on me that it was very hard to handle the anxiety. And I, I even found myself had canceled a couple of gigs, like nights off because I had such bad anxiety about being in front of people. But I got over that again, once I got a little bit of traction again. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm, 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 I keep on keeping on. Awesome. Thank you uh, for sharing. And uh, I mean, so much from what you said. <laughs> Love to talk. Um, but I guess the first thing, um, you know, that kind of the idea of the wounded healer and, and I don't know if you find this, but certainly for myself by talking about my mental health in a way to try and in some way possibly help others, it kind of changes how I feel about my own mental health journey, like my relationship with it. And it doesn't always <laughs> make it easier, but sometimes, I don't know, it gives a bit of separation from it rather than it kind of being all consuming, if that makes sense. I don't know if you found. I agree. I agree completely because it gives you a different perspective on it. And now granted, again, we, we live in a culture of comparison. I mean, if you look at social media, that's all it's about. And, and I, you do find yourself though. And at least I did in the beginning going, wow, my life's not as bad as that. <laughs> when you hear some stories and I, and it, and I don't mean to sound trite when I say that, but it's like, wow, you know, but then it also leads to some guilt on yourself. And you're like, well, I didn't have it that bad. So why am I feeling so, so bad? And why, like, why do I, like, why do I have this, you know, this thing that I have to deal with because I, I didn't have it that bad, but you don't, your level of, of trauma and stuff is, is all relative to you. And that's really what trauma is, is trauma is that, it, it affects you at a level that is, is sometimes un, undealable. And that's not really a word, but. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make up words, that's cool. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we all have our own individual trauma, but we also have our own individual makeups, whether that's our temperament, our genetics, um, our personality, everything. So the same situation for two people, you could respond to it completely differently because you are an individual. And so it's, yeah, it's really, you can't compare really your trauma with anyone else's. It's 
you know it impacts you and if that is having an impact on how able you are to to function if you like then absolutely absolutely i totally agree and and it's that functioning that we don't always question and and again we normalize the abnormal and we can normalize the worst things in our lives as a survival mechanism and again this this prehistoric brain that we have hasn't caught up to you know hasn't caught up to 2020 2021 yet and we still have that mentality of you know us versus them and you know we're animals at heart but again emotions we're not taught anything about emotions and it's it's and that's where i really think is a failing on us as a society across the board but again when you look at everything in a, in a war-like stance because that's really what you know the war machine is about and i don't think it's just necessarily a military thing it's it's just a war mentality of you know us versus them and and we've been taught that you need to fit into this mold and especially as men and especially as men where toxic masculinity is just like, you have to be tough. You can't cry. You can't show emotion. You can't show empathy. You don't need to be nice. You need to be hardened. And I, I, that leaves us very empty and it leaves us very vulnerable and men especially don't have a language of vulnerability. They use rage. They use anger. And, and I'm, and I'm just like that. I I've used rage and anger and, and stuff as, as a coping mechanism, just like I've used alcohol, just like I've used drugs, just like I've used, you know, uh, TV and food and everything. Like I've gone through all of that and I still deal with all that like every day, you know what I mean? Every day is a fight, but some days, you know, some days you win, some days you got to go back and, and bandage up your wounds and go back out. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for mentioning about um, kind of men's mental health. And I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in the UK, November is kind of a focus on men's mental health. Um, And I think men's health generally, we have like Movember where everyone grows, not that can, a mustache. (laughs) Yeah. Not everyone can. My partner cannot grow a mustache. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um, but yeah, at the moment uh, over here, we've got a focus on men's mental health because absolutely, as you said, there's that kind of cultural expectation, which can be particularly difficult for men to ask for help or to reach out or to just admit that things are maybe difficult for them. Absolutely. But it is getting better. It is mm, getting better. Yeah. And by more men being in this space, I think it it allows for others to to open up to. And I, and I, I'm pretty good at starting conversations with people and I I've learned how, what questions to ask. And sometimes the most basic question that you have to ask, like when somebody says they're not feeling good is, are you going to hurt yourself or do you have a plan to hurt yourself? Are you, are you thinking about suicide? Because that actually, everybody might think if you're not in this space, that that would have the opposite effect but it doesn't. It actually allows this stopgap of allowing somebody to open up about it. And I didn't know that when I was young. I suicide, especially um, uh, when I was seventeen. We had a girl in my school that that died by suicide, and she died in a very violent way of um, by gunshot. And I know it's not proper etiquette, suicide wise, to talk 
in terms of completion and what happened. But when you hear of a, of a female doing that, you know that there's so much pain. And I didn't understand that pain at 17. And I lost several other friends going through the course of the years. And um, when I had my own struggle, I didn't understand the depth of what that darkness does to you and what it, it, it fundamentally changes everything about you. And if it doesn't, then you need to maybe relook at that again and see why it hasn't changed you. Because for me, uh, for me, suicide as a young, younger person seemed selfish. And we hear that a lot from people. However, you, it's not because it's, it's the pain that you don't see. And we, we all walk around we don't know what wounds we're carrying around. We don't know. We don't know what's in somebody's mind. And, and then we don't want to look at people because we're afraid that it's a reflection on us Mm -hmm. and we don't want to look at ourselves. And and it's, and that's a big thing. Look at the leaders in this country. You know what I mean? Look at the leader that, you know, like you want to talk about not taking responsibility for anything. It's like, you know, but it is what it is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I think with those conversations around suicide, one of the the big kind of misconceptions and fears that I often hear is that idea that if you ask someone if they're feeling suicidal or if they've considered it, if they were planned, you're going to just put the idea in their head. They might not have yes, been right. there. And actually, I've um, recently been going through um, the process of training with the Samaritans who are our kind of suicide prevention helpline. Um, awesome good for you yeah and um so as as a listening volunteer and actually that's we spend a lot of time talking about having these conversations and actually you know if you are feeling that pain and that that desperation and kind of just not seeing any other choice for yourself at that moment and if someone's like cuts right through that and asks you are you feeling this in a way it's kind of oh someone gets it or someone's seen how I'm feeling and then it gives that opportunity to talk about that stuff when in your everyday life people like you said will avoid that conversation and so that you don't have that chance to to explore it and maybe find a different alternative for yourself and I think a lot of people don't ask because a they don't know how to ask and they do have that misconception but I also think that there's a Obviously, we know this because you're doing your training and I'm involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention here in my in my area. I'm I'm on the board of directors for our capital region chapter. And I also do some work with NAMI. And I I think that most people don't want to be responsible for someone else. And I think that that's and I think that that inherently is the detriment to so many is that if, if we hear somebody say it, Oh my God, we're going to have to do something. And most people don't know what to do. First of all, like they don't know how to react, but then they also don't want to. And there's, there has to be a willingness. You have to be willing to stand up and, and take action or at least ask the question. Mm. And go right ahead so well, I was gonna say and so maybe that's something we can kind of you know riff on for a little bit that if someone is thinking okay well I've got a friend say that I'm I'm concerned about and I want to ask the question so that you know wants to ask is is there but I'm not sure 
how to ask and then what to do with that do you have any thoughts on on, on what they can do or what they can say yes i do um i've taken mental health first aid here in the states which is done through uh, the mental health association and I've learned that just asking the question, are you okay? How are you? How are you really feeling? And when you get an opening, the first thing I always ask, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Because I, because I know this now. And I, nobody asked me necessarily at the time I was going through the, the things that I was, my wife did after she caught on that I was very depressed and she started to ask and, and stuff. But it just, you just need to ask the question. You, you need to be strong enough to ask the question. Now, if they do say yes, okay, and now as, as what you're learning through the Samaritans, I'm sure, and what I've learned is, is that you do technically have a responsibility when you have certain training that you need to escalate things if you think they need to be escalated. Um, I always tell everyone that if the person is in immediate danger, and you can't accompany them to an emergency room or if they don't have a mental health professional already and they are in immediate danger, have plan, have means, then you need to call 911. And I, I know we post a lot of memes with the suicide prevention hotline number and stuff, and, and those are great, but I, they don't get to the root of it at all. And they don't really provide any, because most people aren't going to, I don't know if most people will be willing to call the phone number. I know some will, um, but I, I, you need to accompany them or find them some sort of professional help, regardless of whether it's through your, your hospitals or, or if they have a doctor, um, you can ask if they have a mental, health, a mental health professional. If they don't, their family practitioner will often be the next one to go to. Um, I, and I, I don't know if that answered your question necessarily, because I, there's other things that obviously it really is going to depend on the answer that you're given. And I've had several people over the last couple of years, reach out to me for advice. Most people just want to be, feel like they're heard. Mm -hmm. And most people don't necessarily have a plan. I, it's when it gets to you actually planning and having the means to do it, that it becomes a different, it's a different animal at that point. And there's, mm -hmm. there's immediate danger and, and what it is. And by asking someone if they're hurt, if they're thinking about hurting themselves, we call it that stopgap. It actually focuses you on a set for a second and it, it provides some space in between the thought and the action. And that is where we find the biggest opening is, is in between the thought and the action. And if you can get in there and break that in half and separate them, I've had several uh, occasions where I've been to the, to the ER um, with my buddy who I do the podcast with. I was, I went to the ER once with when he was having some trouble a long time ago. And I've been there with my mother and I, it, it's hard to, to watch sometimes because I don't necessarily think that all the professionals are geared to help either. Because again, like when you're here, most people in, in, in the professional sense, a lot of people already have 20 years in and they're burned out. And it's like, there's a real burnout with 
the mental health profession because it's such a it's such a heavy thing to have to have to handle day after day but getting help for someone who is in immediate danger is is paramount and regardless of whether that's staying with them or just holding space and listening to how they feel because that that i think is the biggest thing that you can do is just ask and listen most mm. people just want you to shut up and just hear them mm. and they don't necessarily need advice mm. well we have um a campaign in in the uk um under the the time to change uh, campaign which I love um, and I'm going to mention it, which is the ask twice campaign and they're talking ah. about it again for November actually for men's mental health and it's this idea you know you're having a conversation like oh how are you and we usually will go oh I'm fine I'm good and often <laughs> we're not but that's the acceptable thing for us to say and so the ask twice campaign is then kind of going you know are you, are you sure are you you know are you all right and asking a second time because then possibly it might open that space for well actually I'm, I'm here to have a real conversation if you want to talk and they have some great images like someone being I can't remember like eaten by an octopus or something it's like are you fine like yeah yeah I'm fine kind <laughs> <laughs> of humorous but that kind of you know when you can clearly see or maybe you're picking up on some some clues that maybe someone isn't okay and so then yeah to ask a second time and say well you know I'm here if you want to talk or you know that kind of thing yeah, the ears are the best the best way to to find out. Uh, we have uh, the the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has a, a a campaign called Real Convo, and I'm sure you've probably seen the hashtags online and stuff, which is a, really about just being able to have a real conversation with somebody about mental health and and what's and what you know what questions to ask. I, I don't think that there's a set question to ask except for the fact that are you okay and then asking that several times i look at it i i have this i have this um this thought that i call it the dd ramon because dd used to count off one two three four for every ramon song and i i try to ask four times during the conversation are you okay and then you get them to open up a little bit are you really okay and then as you get deeper into it, you ask a third time. And then before you leave again, you just ask that one more time. And sometimes it takes three or four times to ask. And people need to feel comfortable with you. You mm -hmm. can't, there's, it, it, it can't be done in a, in a confrontational way, because that's where I think some people get into it. This tough love thing is, and, and some, maybe for some people that works, but, I, I don't think it works for the majority of us because we really just want a sympathetic ear most of the time, maybe a shoulder to cry on. Yeah, I, I guess, um, and this could be just me personally talking, that sometimes there's a big fear of judgment and, and uh, burdening people and uh, loads of complex stuff and shame and all of that. But if someone is being, and I don't like confrontation anyway, but if someone's being pushy and confrontational, then there's a fear like, well, if I open up, like, you're maybe in a judgy space and that's not going to help me. I'm, I'm going to make myself vulnerable and I don't feel safe to do that when someone's coming on the attack, maybe. Absolutely. And, and, and making someone feel safe enough to do that is, is an art in itself. Mm -hmm. But I do think that you can learn it. Some people just are better at it than others. Um, we like to call it stomping out stigma on the show because you know we're we're metal guys we always have been and um 
And it's stigma is, is the biggest detriment to anything, regardless of what, what you're looking at. But when it comes to mental health, there's such a stigma and there's such a stigma of, of weakness and such a stigma of, you know, Oh, well, there must be something wrong with them. They're, they're crazy. They're nutty. They're, you know, they're this or that. There's always this judgment and it's, Mm -hmm. and that's really where all the stigma comes from is judgment. But then you can also have self stigma too, because yeah. then, you know, people are judging you and then that creates that shame and, and shame is a shame is a horrible, horrible effect of, of culture and trauma and just all those things. Absolutely. And I guess um, this is maybe a great time to chat a little bit about um, peer support and uh, congratulations on your certification you. or kind of. Um, and I know it's something that definitely uh, exists in the UK and is growing. So I've, I have done training as a kind of peer support uh, specialist in the, in the mental health space with the charity. And actually, some of the, the, um, the local authorities are putting in place and in the area I am, which is quite rural, they're putting in a much more of a peer support model into their, their services. And I think you know, we're sort of saying about how can, it can be really difficult to open up and that fear of being judged. And I think that's something special about that peer space when you're talking to someone that you know in some way has some lived experience and probably gets it in some way. I think that can make it easier to to open up because there's maybe less less kind of fear there, maybe, I don't know. I, I, think, I think that the perfect example of peer support would be the the AA the Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. Um, not that I'm I, I'm not in recovery, um, but that model of of being someone else's helper is is a good thing. Um, the peer support movement here in the states, um, when I was learning about this, stems from the civil rights movement and stems from the the gay rights movement. And what happened was during this time in the 60s, where I, I believe it was Kennedy let decided that it would be a good idea to, to start closing down mental health facilities because they were detrimentally bad. I mean, if you watch these films, I mean, they, they're just horrible places, but they didn't give them a path into, the, into society. So they let all these people out and they didn't have a community to go to because they were kind of ostracized from this community because they were put in hospitals and put away. So what happened was some, some people got together during the civil rights era type time and just around Stonewall and stuff. And they, they started to have this consumer survivor expatient movement, which turned into the peer movement. And it became, and it became this model of getting people back into the community and serving them on a level that is for them and not just being a patient because that is another stigma that comes. It's just like you're it almost, it almost separates you from the rest of society because you have this condition. So the peer movement, I believe is, is needs to be expanded. And I, and I think it would be very helpful to have like, and I know that you've probably heard this, that like there's this big decree of, of law enforcement, and I, I don't believe that. And first of all, that's part of the problem is that you use those two words together in law and enforcement. You need to look at mental health, not from 
a law enforcement standpoint, because you've got a lot of people walking around with their own traumas, their own unregulated emotions and their own biases that bringing law enforcement into a mental health situation, I believe, creates more problems than it does help. But again, these the, these professionals who put their lives on the line every day aren't aren't taught and they don't they, their training is very minimal with with mental health. And granted, if, if, you know, it's different if you're, you know, being threatened and I, I, I'm glad that I don't have that experience because it's just not my thing. But I think what we need to do is we need to embed people in our community that have lived experience. And I don't think that you should have to necessarily go to school for eight years and have a mortgage to do this. And that's another big flaw of this is that you, you spend all this money to become a professional and when it comes to human services, the, the pay for what you have to pay for education is nowhere on the scale. And I think we need to, we really need to reevaluate what is necessary in the community. And you need people in different spaces to, to further that and to also offer, offer their ideas. And you need to listen to those ideas. And you need to make it make it easier for people to access this stuff. And I, I will say this, especially during COVID now, it's it's hard to find providers because they're so overburdened and they're taking on so much stuff that I believe that if you have at least a group that you could go to once a week, every couple of weeks, you would be better off. Even if it's even if it's on Skype or on on Zoom or wherever, like we are that I think it's still at least a connection. And that's what everybody is seeking. People are seeking connection and they want to feel heard and they want to feel understood. And we don't have a lot of understanding. Yeah. I don't know, um, you know, how much there is in the US in terms of peer support, but I'm trying to think in the UK. And I think it's something that um, as a model of support, I think in the UK, we're quite on board with and the, the value of lived experience in a kind of advisory capacity when decisions are being made. And I think there are quite a few charitable organizations that will have peer support within their, um, their kind of models. So I know Mind, who are one of the, the kind of big mental health charities yes. in the UK, has local groups, which I, you know, at the moment obviously can't meet face to face, but um, uh, one of the things I do, I'm a time to change champion, and that is about people with lived experience, raising awareness, challenging stigma. Um, and we have um, these catch up groups we've been having during lockdown that they've been doing on Zoom, which is not a support group per se, but it's a chance to kind of check in and, and you know, talk to people. And I think that it's something that's maybe growing, but I think in the UK, we're quite kind of, yes, peer support is helpful. That's something that we should have not just in the mental health space in in kind of lots of different areas and i wonder whether it's something that there is on the same scale the there US. there is um we have at afsp we have um a thing called healing conversations which is for people who who have um just experienced a, a loss to suicide and they are also in the process of bringing out a program for people with lived experience uh, the National Alliance of Mental Illness has a bunch of peer groups that that they facilitate and they offer. Um, I do notice that in my area, it's harder to find peer work 
than it is in say New York City. New York City is a very, very big population and has a very big peer movement. And it's amazing, like the stuff that they do down there. But we don't have, I have not seen it here yet. And I and I'll be honest, I have not been professionally trying to find mm. um professional peer work yet, but I I need to at some point just because of the way that this the way the certification runs. I have mm. to have 2000 hours of supervised. Yeah, I'm not sure if we have a, a model in the same way in, as a kind of professional career in peer support. Uh, it fit, and I could be wrong, but it feels like in the UK there might be uh, like coordinators and facilitators who are employed, but it's mainly volunteers who do the peer supporting rather than as a kind of professional role and that's and that's what i'm doing now um we i just uh my buddy and i my buddy tim that i do the podcast with him and i co-facilitate a bi-weekly peer group um in a recovery center in saratoga called healing springs recovery center it's an amazing place they give us the space and you know we we're getting two to three people every 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 session which for us is that's good because that's two or three people you're reaching um, I'm getting ready to, as we talk today, I'm getting ready to, to facilitate another monthly peer group um, in another part of our area um, for anxiety and for parents with anxiety. And again, I think that that is the way to go because it gives people, it gives people the equality that they so need because they know that there's people out there just like them. And I believe that it is a, a thing that we need. We need more than ever. And I think every, every profession should have a peer group anyway, because that's the way you learn is by asking questions and, and people have knowledge and you can't be afraid of that knowledge. And we need to share it. We need to share it. And that's part of the reason why, you know, the podcast is such a big thing for me, just like for you, I'm sure, because yeah. not only are you helping people, but you're helping yourself. And you're gaining knowledge and you're gaining different perspectives and perspective. You know, we live in our own perception bubble and perspectives from other people is very, are very important are very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it's quite selfish sometimes because I really enjoy it. And I can ask people questions <laughs> for my own self-development <laughs> and because I'm nosy. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I, and I have, thinking of my guests I've had some British guests uh, American guests Canadian Australian South African from Singapore predominantly it tends to be UK and US but kind of all over I haven't mapped it out maybe I will um but <laughs> it's it is really interesting um you know hearing people's different personal perspectives but also sometimes the cultural and I think um one of the things that we fall into or certainly I think we do in the UK you know with the US, we think we're really similar culturally. And actually, sometimes when you pick it apart, you're like, oh, actually, we're quite different in um, our perceptions and, and stuff. And we are. And I find that, like, I, I think there's a certain arrogance in in the States that we don't view cult, other cultures in in necessarily the right terms and the right mm. way. And I and I and and that's a person like and but again, you know, you don't have to be your country. You know what I mean? You can like, I, and I, I love learning about other cultures and I, I think it's amazing. Like all the things that are in this world and I haven't traveled anywhere. Like the sad thing about it is, is I just realized this. I don't even have a passport. 
So that goes to show how terrible my bubble really is, is that I haven't even gotten out of the States and it's like, you know, and there's so, there's such a big, vast world out there that I just haven't had the chance to experience yet because I haven't offered myself that opportunity. But, you know, maybe when we're allowed to travel again, um, you know, something, something to do. And I, I've traveled uh, a little, not as much as I would like to have done. Um, but I think it's so interesting to, for different perspectives. And I've not traveled much in the US. I've been to New York twice. Um, and then I've been to Seattle airport and then also an airport in uh, Minnesota somewhere. <laughs> but uh, so not expensively in the US. Um, I've been to Vancouver and Canada and that's kind of my North American travels. Um, more, I've traveled more in South America actually than North America, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, such an interesting experience, especially if you are curious and open to finding out about other cultures, which I think sometimes when we travel, some people maybe are not as open <laughs> to finding out about cultures. They want to enjoy maybe the scenery, but they want it all to feel familiar. And I think sometimes if you can just kind of throw yourself into experiencing another culture, that's an amazing um, experience. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if I would be comfortable all the time because <laughs> my anxiety gets pretty high yeah. at times of travel and, and just I, as much as I need people, uh, I need my withdrawal from people also. <laughs> oh yeah, same. <laughs> I um, I did a sabbatical. So I traveled for four months uh, with one of my closest friends. And actually what was lovely about that, we've been friends for about a decade and she knows me very well. She knows about my kind of mental health. And so she was great at being able to see in me, Hannah needs space. Um, and so that made it, and I'm, I'm not, a massively anxious traveler I'm pretty happy finding my way around airports and um I had been learning a bit of Spanish so you know I kind of felt okay about that bit so it was more the people <laughs> needing space but that really helped me to have someone that I was traveling with who yeah could also see in me right Hannah needs space so supporting in that way so yeah awesome yeah awesome, awesome. so I mean, we could keep, we're probably going to go way over on time if that's right, but I'm loving this conversation. I think we've covered so much um, amazing stuff, but I wonder if you have a kind of, I don't know, a final thought on um, mental health, music, peer support, life, anything that you'd like to share with us? Uh, life is, life is like a song and it, it, and it needs to be played loud sometimes and it needs to be played softly other times. Um, I, but I think that at heart, we're all human. We all have pain and that is where we can start. We can start at our pain and we all suffer pain. Everyone, no matter what culture you're from, no matter what gender you are, uh, it knows no boundaries and pain is a good place to start because I think that that proves empathy and that gives that everybody's journey, although we may be walking different paths, we all walk the same journey, essentially, and we're all basically the same. And it doesn't matter what your culture, what your upbringing, we are all basically the same. Um, I think my biggest thing is, is that help someone. And if you don't have help, find someone that you can help. Because I think that, that having a struggle buddy is the biggest benefit 
to any of this. And if you don't have a struggle buddy, then be a struggle buddy for someone else. Because that is, I think, a good place to start for everybody. And we can all use a friend, even if you only have one close friend or one person that you can talk to. And it's, it's, it takes some strength and it takes some, it really does take strength to say, I'm not feeling well, I don't feel good, but it, it opens up a whole new world and it's opened up a whole new world for me. And it's a world that I'm glad that I chose to stay in. And my biggest reason for staying is, is that uh, my daughter's going to be 10. And the fact is, is that the cycle stops with me. Because it's a proven fact that children who have parents that die by suicide are more likely to attempt or die by suicide themselves. And it's my job to stop the cycle. And that is my, that's my mission in life is just to stop the cycle from continuing Mm. and and help as many people and touch as many people as I can via music, via podcasting, via anything that I can do. And I'm trying to make it that way. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm sure that you um, yeah, are having a massive impact on a lot of people through your podcast and through what you've shared with us today. So thank you so much for being uh, yeah, so open. And thank I, you. yeah, I love the idea of struggle buddies. <laughs> <laughs> A great thing. Um, I'm just thinking I've got friends who are very supportive. I'm not sure if I've got like a designated struggle buddy, but who knows? I'm just thinking you could like trademark it or something. Anyway, um, let's not go off on a tangent around that. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on my set questions that I ask everybody. Absolutely. Perfect. So my first one is what brings you joy in your life? What brings me joy in my life? Uh, getting up every day, um, putting my feet on the ground, uh, music, coffee, my family, um, watching my daughter smile and play, um, you know, uh, being able to take a walk. Um, I walk every day. I love it. It's one of the best things in the world. Uh, being able to slap on my earbuds and, and listen to good music and, and just, you know, being here, trying to stay here. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to be present often when you live in, in, with a mental health, with a, with a mental health disorder, a mood disorder, it's hard to stay present, but you, you just try. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what gives me joy and talking to you and getting to meet great people like yourself and just, mm. and carrying on just like, just like we do. Mm. Yeah. Do you have, um, coming back to music a little bit, do you have a kind of pick me up song that if you're feeling quite low, kind of always gives you a, a, a... you get what you give from the new radicals. Okay. That song is such a such an mm-hmm. uplifting song that I cannot help but but just dance around my house and I and I I have no rhythm whatsoever when it comes to dancing <laughs> but but that song is just that song is just such an uplift it's just every time I hear it it gets cranked on the radio and mm. and you know any Ramon song <laughs> mm. yeah awesome awesome yeah I think music is so uh, so powerful um. You know, I love an impromptu kitchen dance party. It's a- <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, fab. So then my next question is, what makes life meaningful for you? Providing meaning to others, or at least the hopes of providing meaning to others. Um, 
You know, you can add meaning to anything, be it good or bad. So make it the best thing that you can put meaning with. I, I don't know if that answers your question or not. That's that threw me for a loop. That's a good question. <laughs> I like that. Well, the, the fun thing about the questions is people interpret them in their own ways. And I find that fascinating. So there is no wrong answer. Um, so <laughs> yeah, cre- creativity is the biggest meaning maker to me, like being creative and being able to be creative mm. and allowing yourself the space to be creative because you have to give yourself permission to, too, because it can be a very selfish act in ways, even though it's not, but it sort of is in a way, you know what I mean? There's that yin and yang of that creative thing that we live in. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. So then my next two questions are around our kind of overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental well-being. So the first question is, what does mental wellness mean to you? Uh, mental wellness means that you are have the ability to handle the situations in your life and look at them with a perspective of, of a non-polar lens where you're not too far into happy, too far into sad, where you can have a baseline. And I, I believe that wellness and illness are just a spectrum and that we can be on that spectrum at any level, any time. But it's, it's the idea that you keep the meter at that below that zero decibel so it doesn't go into the red too much and you just stay, you stay, uh, you stay baseline. And whatever that baseline is for you, and if that baseline is low, then you need to figure out a way to make it better. Yeah, thank you. And then my follow-up question is for yourself, how do you maintain your mental well-being? So how do you stay around that kind of zero baseline? Um, I try. I try to stay <laughs> around that baseline. Um, it's an art and it's an art of balance that I don't attain all the time, but we're, but we're not here to be perfect. Um, I, I like to meditate. Uh, I, do, um, I do a set of exercises called the eight silken brocades or the badwa jin it's a, a jigong a jigong exercise that um is just a an internal exercise for all the things in your body i walk every day i love to walk i i i would love to know how many miles i've walked in my life but uh, i really do love to walk and it doesn't matter whether it's on a treadmill or outside i prefer outside but um because my neck and my spine are in bad shape I, um, I don't like the cold. So I, I walk inside a lot in, in the wintertime and the wintertime sucks because it's just, it's bleak and it's dark early and yeah, it's just, yeah, it's that uh, miserable here, November. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, I probably don't walk as much as I should. We've got a dog and, um, he doesn't walk particularly far, but he will not go out if it's wet. He's like, I'm not, ah, uh. will not. <laughs> Uh, even if he needs the bathroom, like this this morning, he looked out and it took him like three attempts over like an hour where you could see him kind of go, well, I need to go, but I want to get wet. And then he's like, go and they come back and you see the cogs turning and eventually he like got the courage. And he's like, <laughs> but um, yeah, if it's raining, no chance. He's not going outside. Even if it's just a bit too damp, like it rained earlier, the ground's wet, there's moisture in the air, not doing it. Uh, yeah. Which oh, well. Can, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time out in the rain, mm. be, you know, have, for my 
my past employment and the rain can be beautiful, but it can also be a drain because, you know, if you're wet, you're cold, you're damp, it's, I get it. I totally get it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then my next question, this is a fun one, often a challenge is, can you describe your own mindset? Oh, not good. Uh, <laughs> a work in progress, a work in progress. That's the best way that I can, that I can say it. I don't, you know, I, I tend to have a very negative, I've had a very negative mindset for much of my life that I didn't grasp or know how to change. So I say a work in progress. That's, that's the best answer I can give you. Um, I, I try to stay positive and I, I've luckily gained some tools to learn how to turn negatives into positives now. So it's a work in progress. And if I ever get to a, an upper level of of Jedi mastery, I will let you know. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think we're all a work in progress. I think that's a fair <laughs> a fair phrase um, for it. This brings me to my favorite question because uh, I'm nosy, um, and as I said, you know the podcast a little bit selfish sometimes for getting getting ideas. Um, so I ask everyone that comes on to leave us with between one and three top tips of things you'd recommend that people can have a go at that could have a big impact in their lives. So do you have a top one to three things for us? So the first thing I would say is take a walk. Okay. It, and walking is the best exercise. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you're fortunate enough to have your legs, and I know everybody don't have those, um, take a walk. That's my first. The second one is to find a creative outlet some sort of creative outlet. And I'm not saying that you got to, you know, create it, write a symphony or, or paint a masterpiece, but find a creative outlet, whether it's, it's woodworking or it's, it's journaling or just find a creative, creative outlet that you can put some energy into because it'll allow you some, some freedom of, and, and being a child again, being childlike. And it's, and it's hard when, when you don't feel like your childhood was very much childlike that you want to get back to those things, but you don't know how to, and you have to give yourself permission to be creative. And the very last tip that I have is, is find a struggle buddy, find a struggle buddy or be a struggle buddy. That is really the, that is really the crux of, of my mission is to, is to have hook people up with struggle buddies, be a struggle buddy or, or, or something along those lines, but just have somebody or be somebody for someone else. Yeah. Great tips. Thank you so much for that. Um, I feel really tempted to just steal struggle buddies, but I won't cause it's yours. <laughs> Your idea. I, I, it's not because I go, I, I go get, I go daddy the domain and like struggle oh. buddy is taken already. So <laughs> You know, but again, is it a concept? Ah, eh, you know, it's it's a concept that you know, that you know, whatever. Good concepts are always taken because they're good concepts. Mm. You know what I mean? That's why that's why song titles aren't copywritten. Mm. You can have the song title of many different songs with the same title because titles are titles. It's mm. just that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? But mm. it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. And it's how you put the spin on it. So, you yeah. know, th that, that struggle buddy might have a different idea than maybe. what we have. Yeah. Maybe 
Well, maybe it's like arm wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> arm wrestling club or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Fight club. Yeah. Except except non-fighting. Because I'm not, I don't, yeah, I'm not a, I don't, the violence thing is not, I, it's fun to watch on TV. Like I, I like the UFC and mixed martial arts and, mm. and boxing and things like that. But I, I tend to not want to be a violent person because mm. violence is a cycle that you just can't break mm. unless you break it. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And then my final question, which I feel quite sad to ask because I'm loving having this conversation. I'm glad. Yeah, I won't keep here all day. Uh, so my last question is uh, where people can find you if they want to connect with you. I know you've mentioned your podcast, but if you can remind us of the details of that, just where people can find you online. Yes. Uh, so the first place you can find me online is willfoley.net. Uh, that's where all my music is. Um, I have a bunch of, ori- I have some original stuff up there. Uh, I also have a cover of Audio Slave, Chris Cornell song, I Am The Highway, which has become um, my my go-to song for talking about mental health because I was fortunate enough to actually perform the song for Chris Cornell's daughter recently for a NAMI event. Um, and you can find the podcast at abovegroundpodcast.net. Uh, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, and it's in all the other places that podcasts are. Uh, it's on YouTube and stuff. And it's a weekly podcast that uh, comes out every Wednesday. And we're up to close to 90 episodes at this point. Um, we, uh, we, we tend to try to, uh, Tim and I get into a room together and have conversations. And then we also bring on others and interview people. And we're trying to get to the point of every other episode being one or the other, but it's hard sometimes because as you may know, it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to schedule interviews. It's hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's a work. And I do the production part of it for a lot of it. Um, when Tim and I are together in a room, we actually have a good friend of ours, Will, who actually engineers and has a, a basement studio and he does a great job with it. But then like the zoom stuff. And then he just sends me files and I do the rest of the background stuff, mm-hmm. but that's uh, above ground podcast. Um, a B O V E just like it says, uh, <laughs> because you, because you can't serve below. That's our tagline because you can't serve below. Awesome. I'm absolutely linking show notes. And yeah, podcasting can be a lot. <laughs> We're um, this, well, we've had 80 episodes out of, of our show. I've got a lot of uh, interviews pre-recorded, but I do the whole shebang myself, which is a lot, uh, can be a lot of stuff, especially now we've gone up to twice a week with episodes. Um, but yeah, yeah bless you bless your heart man <laughs> i couldn't do it I, as much as i as much as i really like podcasting i really wanted to be a dj when i was a kid mm. and i just couldn't get the performing bug out of me to put enough time to try to be a dj too mm. uh radio d- dj which you know nowadays you can do it out of your own base out of your own house just like we yeah. do now yeah yeah awesome Oh, Will, thank you so much. I'm definitely uh, going to check out some of your music. Oh, awesome, um, man. Thank you and, so much for having me. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. Yeah, I've absolutely- I do have the question for you, though. Oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. I take it that you're a derby girl. You skate? <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, I, haven't been sk- I haven't skated for the last couple of years, but yes, I used to skate for Bath, which is my local city, roll the derby. So yeah, I guess competitively, but in an amateur <laughs> sense. So yes. Yeah. yeah, we have several. We have several teams in our area. Um, yeah. I have a couple of. Uh, one of my buddies just moved out to Seattle, 
in the last year and he's still skating. He skates, his wife skates. It's, uh, it's awesome. I've gone a few times. Yeah, it's so good. I've just watched, um, I don't know if you can get BBC iPlayer uh, over there, but I've just finished watching a documentary, four episode documentary following a Welsh team in Cardiff called Tiger Bay Brawlers, who I've seen play their fab and it's uh, following them in 2019 in the Euros. Uh, so if you can access iPlayer, I would recommend watching it. It's called Hell on Wheels. Oh, awesome. Amazing. And I think one of the things about Derby, it is such, um, obviously any group is going to sometimes have issues and divisions and that kind of thing, but it's a very accepting space. And um, I'm still in a, a mental health support group that's kind of roller derby focused. Oh, that's Facebook. awesome. Good yeah, for you. Yeah. 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 It's um, yeah, very supportive space, a lot of fun and uh, great for kind of confidence and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. People that I've been exposed to in Derby seem to have, there's a lot of the mental health, thing going on because i think that's a big part of it for a lot of the the women that skate and stuff um i've been to several matches here in our area and obviously with things the way they are there was no yeah. season this year and stuff but uh i grew up like i was born in 72 so it's like i saw derby on tv and reruns from the yeah. lat birds and like when it was when it was sort of had that you know pro wrestling idea <laughs> And it's amazing. It's awesome to see it now. Mm. Um, I know in Austin, Texas, there's a huge, they have uh, they have the the whole roller bank track. They got the whole thing. It's yeah. not flat. It's like they yes. built it. And there's a documentary about the, mm. the Austin city um, okay. roller derby thing on yeah. online also. Yeah. Cause you've got flat track and bank track. And I think in the UK, we tend to only have flat track because we tend to just play in like sports halls and uh, that kind of thing but yeah same here same here yeah. it's uh, the only thing I've seen here in in the capital district has been flat track yeah, yeah. and I'm yeah having just rewatched this documentary and I had a skate um I sadly um lost a friend from the team um recently uh, who passed away um and we sort of did a tribute kind of skate um and actually she there was a um a kind of on skates funeral procession for her and it was all it was all very colorful and very much her personality but I kind of got my skates back out um for that and luckily <laughs> the muscle memory was there and it didn't fall over um but watching this documentary I am considering when we're able to maybe you know put my skates back on because I hope you do I hope you do and I so just like with skating music like when you perform it's muscle memory yeah. And that's like what I was saying earlier about when I started to perform again, it was hard because I felt that I had lost a lot of what I had, but you don't lose it. You just have to uncover it again. Mm. Cause that to me is what recovery is. Recovery is a fluid process and recovery is just uncovering what you've always known is there mm. and then discovering that you have the strength to uncover it. And that's really what recovery is all about. I think that's something for me as well you can't see my keyboard here <laughs> but I you know I grew up kind of playing music and then sort of uh, out of it a little bit and um, a couple of years ago I was sort of in a oh maybe I want to I've always been really anxious about singing in front of people but I love singing by myself and real, really self-conscious and so I had singing lessons for a while and then I went <laughs> this like six month period of writing a load of songs um, and then 
kind of stopped it and uh, stopped music but it's definitely something that yeah, maybe i'll pick that up um, again as well so yeah i'll have some new music coming out um in 2021 um i'm actually in the studio next weekend recording uh recording the song that actually sort of started to prompt my recovery which is a song called that i called memoir mm-hmm. and it's about my about my struggles and just mm-hmm. what they've been like so I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. So yeah. And that's, yeah. that'll found, be up in next year. So awesome. awesome. I will definitely keep an eye out for it. And I found it when I did my little, like, I don't know, six months of songwriting, I found it very, I, you know, I, I used to write like poems, I guess, when I was younger, when I was like processing stuff and I found it very therapeutic to kind of get some of the words out. Um, they're all quite dark. I think my songs that I wrote. Yeah. That's, but, that's okay though. You know, yeah. We need the darkness to see the light. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much. I honestly oh, keep Hannah, talking thank to you all day. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, me too. That's, yeah. I, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you having me on. It's awesome. Oh, and you're so doing welcome. such, you're doing awesome work. Keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. You're yeah. very welcome. So thanks again to Will. And Will mentioned his podcast, the Above Ground podcast uh, that he does with his friend Tim. And very excitingly, after this conversation with Will, I was a guest on their show. And that episode is out today as well. So if you want to hear more about Will, hear more amazing conversations about mental health. Um, It was such, again, a fun conversation. And I think we covered some really uh, important stuff. So I'll be sharing that episode on on social media as well, so you can check it out. But kind of if you want to carry on with this conversation, if you didn't want it to end, then check out that uh, conversation and just check out their podcast generally because it is fab. Another thing I wanted to mention a little bit about some of the organisations that we discussed. So I sort of talked about the Samaritans and actually the way the Samaritans work and the way that other organisations might work around suicide prevention is quite different I think and and so Will was talking about that idea that uh, if you've had some sort of training there's maybe an expectation to kind of step in and do something to sort of de-escalate and the Samaritans very much have a self-determination policy so it's really about that listening and holding space for uh, for someone to talk about how they're feeling uh, and that's a really key part of what they're about and it's not about trying to to talk someone out of a choice is just being there alone in that space. And then hopefully from that, they will um, reach a different decision for themselves. So I just wanted to, to throw that in because I think that's maybe something that I, I put, well, I love the Samaritans anyway. I often uh, share their number um, and recommend people talk to them because I think it, it's an amazing organization and an amazing service they provide. But I think maybe is also different to, to some other kind of similar services in in the way that they work um and so just to share if the Samaritans is um whether you call them before or not uh if you are struggling and you don't feel that you've got a struggle buddy uh, within your circle then you can talk to the Samaritans 24 7 and their number is 116123 uh I sometimes I feel like sometimes I reverse the final three numbers to three two one but one one six one two three the other thing I wanted to talk about is Time to Change and the Time to Change campaign, because that sadly has come to an end now in the UK. 
it was something that was funded by the government and is now no longer being funded. So officially, the Time to Change campaign ended on the 31st of March, which is really sad because it's such an important message that I think is still really needed. But um, I think that a lot of Time to Change campaigns locally are are still going to be doing a lot of the stuff that they have been doing before. So I know where I am in Somerset. Um, Time to Change was a uh, a joint campaign between Mind and Rethink Mental Illness. And so Somerset Mind are kind of continuing with a lot of that amazing work. Um, So it's still going on. I think the conversations are still really important to have about reducing stigma. And that's one of the things that we are about. Um, And that Time to Change campaign um, of, of Asking Twice is something that I've mentioned several times. I've mentioned on other shows. I think it's a really simple but really powerful um, idea, concept. So sad that it's ended but we're still going to be carrying on that work and I know a lot of other organizations around the country are also going to be continuing my final thoughts I mean I had so many thoughts (laughs) but the creative outlet I was thinking you know the sun's out this week and I have been out in the garden painting because that seems to be the best place where I'm going to make minimal mess Uh, so I have been doing a lot of painting this week which really has been a really positive boost for me and um really kind of feel good feel good activity to do um so massive thank you again to Will for everything he shared with us all of his tips and I've definitely been thinking about them and and taking them on board um so absolutely I would recommend that you check out the above ground podcast check out the episode I recorded with them which is out today um and that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. And I say enjoy and it's sometimes feels funny because it's a it's a heavy topic, but I think hopefully it comes across in a light, empowering way that you can take this message and you can take the advice and feel more confident uh, in being able to support someone that you know who is struggling. And I think it's a really important message of just allowing that space and listening to someone. I think just genuinely listening is underrated. We we kind of worry about the action of what what I'm going to have to do or saying the right thing. And actually, sometimes it's not about saying anything. It's just about being there um, and listening. Thanks again to Will. And um, I could keep going on about how <laughs> much I enjoyed this conversation. I won't. Uh, I'll just say that if you have enjoyed this show, one please do rate and review. It really helps us to reach more people. And I think particularly this episode is such an important conversation. If you've if you've enjoyed it, please share it, tag us on social media. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Um, and also please do consider sharing it with someone who you think would enjoy the message um, that we have here. And that's it from me. We'll be back on Monday with another episode. I hope you have a good week. Take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.